When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. Eric Bischoff here with another episode of 83 Weeks, but this time it's a different episode of 83 Weeks. This is not Conrad Thompson. It is not John Alba. None of the above. This is Shuley, and we're here in Nashville Sunday. Ric Flair's last match is tonight. This show drops Monday morning, so we're a little bit ahead of the game, so to speak, but uh, we're here, and we're having a blast this weekend, man. I mean, uh, thank you for saying this is not Conrad. I know I put on a few pounds, but uh, I'm not quite there. I do look like a shrunken Paul Bromwell, though, a little bit. Uh, It's an honor to be here, sir. What a weekend we've been having. I mean, this is this is I was just telling my friends, this is Woodstock for wrestling. Yeah, what's happening right now. All these people, all these companies coming together, everybody working as one uh it's like it's like a peace festival in the wrestling world right it's such a safe place for a wrestling fan doesn't it feel good to be in a safe place i tell you (laughs) you never you never hear ever you never hear those wrestling fans are going to tear this town up you know it just doesn't happen they're they're very mild-mannered uh very polite they're 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 like an NFL game, right? Where the chances are you're going to get your ass kicked in the stance. Well, you know, listen, the NFL players, they can cost you money. Wrestlers are just heroes to people. There you go. You know what I mean? There's nothing that you're invested in them from an early age and that stays with you. And and so being here and having all these different events that are tied in with wrestling, not only the podcast, not only the meet and greets and, and the signings and the, and the gatherings, but then you got matches going on everywhere. You got cards happening. There's, there's like everything to do here. It's insane. Yeah. And it's a fun town. It, I, I love yeah. Nashville. I love coming here. Yeah. Nashville is one of the most happening spots. There's everything. It's like kind of like a little Vegas where you can, you know, at any time you can do pretty much anything out here. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I was walking around downtown. When I, I got here Thursday, right? And so by myself, I'm just kind of chilling and relaxing a little bit. Got to my hotel, checked in. I thought, I'm going to go downtown and just walk around, grab a bite to eat. Like 3 or 4 in the afternoon. I thought it would be pretty chill. 
<laughs> no. Yeah. No, yeah. the bars are packed and the music's blaring. It's like, oh, my God, this is like Mardi Gras. Every day's a Friday in Nashville, buddy. Every it's day. Um, so, yeah, it's been fantastic. And, and uh, I was personally, I'm a little biased, but I was very much looking forward to the roast of Ric Flair, uh, knowing that I was going to be a part of it. And then I heard you were going to be a part of it. And uh, that's always tricky when when you have a, a friend on the roast that you have to tear apart or choose not to tear apart. But there were so many targets <laughs> and I had so much material. I didn't even get to you. I didn't even get to throw something at you. Um, well, you, it, let's explain. A lot of us didn't get to do a lot of the things that we were hoping to be <laughs> able to do at that roast because, well, it just went long and and you had to kind of compress the things that you could compress, which was the live performance part. Yes. Because there were a lot of, a lot of people sent in videotape and things like that, that everybody wanted to see, but um, we had to react to that. So you got some jokes that you didn't get to tell. Well, yeah. I'm well, dying. first let me give you the backstory. You know, I'm sitting here kind of finalizing my set list uh, at this Airbnb we're staying at, and I'm trying it out on the people that are staying with us. And, um, and it's going well. And one of the, jokes I have was about the roast master, Brad Nessler. And Brad Nessler is a sweetheart of a man. He's, he's pretty much as squeaky clean as you can get. I'm Googling, I'm looking for stories, something to hit this guy with. There's nothing. So as a comic in a roast, when you have somebody, this is just my theory. When you have somebody that's super squeaky clean, the funniest thing to do is to attach them to something that is so opposite end of the spectrum, so uh, uh, bad that everybody laughs at it because it's impossible to see this person doing it. Now, that's how it's played out in my head. I don't know how this person, <laughs> I don't know how Mr. Nestler is going to take it, but, uh, but then the idea pops in my head that not only am I going to do this joke about him, but I'm going to keep doing these jokes about him throughout my set keep kind of hitting them just when people think I'm done with them. I jab them one more time with the theme and, and just kind of work that through the entire set. And so I try this out on some of the guys here and you know, the wrestling business where they say, tell a wrestler, telegram, tell a wrestler, yeah, telephone, telegraph, tell a wrestler. <laughs> yes. So of course, by the time I get to the expo over there, everybody's worried. Everybody's now nervous that Brad Nessler is going to be pissed, and 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 I'm I'm already in trouble. The roast hasn't even started yet, and I get asked, you know, listen, what's going on with it? Because they're not censoring me, but they're worried. And I just said, look, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. I got this. Meanwhile, I didn't know what the hell was going to happen, but I knew it was really funny, and I wanted to try it. So. Um, I, I opened up with a Jeff Hardy joke that uh, that got a huge groan right out the gate, which is what you want at a roast. You know, you want to hit him hard and you want to hit him fast. Right. There's set a rhythm. The, you want to set the tone. You want to set the tone and you also want to let him know it's going to get worse than this. So if this is bothering you, you're going to have a really Strap hard time. Down. Yeah. <laughs> buckle up. So so uh, by. <laughs> my, <laughs> My, you want me to do my 
opening Brad Nessler oh, yeah, joke. We got to hear. We got to hear about this. So, so this is. These are the two jokes I opened the rose with. I said, "I'll keep this set brief. I want to get a ride back to my hotel before Jeff Hardy's out on the road." <laughs> and then followed by Brad Nessler is here, ladies and gentlemen. What a class act! Even though his name rhymes with molester, and already got groans. And then I say. I was talking to Brad backstage while he was fucking a child in the mouth. And he said he wouldn't miss this for the world. The roast, the fucking of a child's mouth. And, oh, and that is bad. Dude. And that's that and, bad. and that the room, the bomb has just been dropped. And so at that point, you can't go from that to like, hey, Rick looks silly. You know, you <laughs> got you got to keep hammering and that hammering. Was- Yes. Man. Yes. And at one point I did a joke about Tori and I hear Eric laughing. This is the only time I turned around because I was so worried about everything I had to say. I said, I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going <laughs> to read my shit and wait for the lights to go out when I get hit from behind, you know. And the only time I turned around, you were laughing after a Tory joke I did, and you're looking at her. You were sitting next to her, and you said, "I'm so sorry for laughing, but it's really funny." <laughs> Tory was a good sport. They were all Tory great Wilson sports. was a great sport. They were, I mean, Brad Nessler was the greatest sport of all. Because Vicky Guerrero, she she took some serious incoming. Yeah, yeah, a couple I, of them. I, I, I talked to my wife. I, the next day and I didn't think she was going to watch, you know, watch the roast on pay-per-view, but she did. And she said, how's Vicky? <laughs> yeah, I think she's fine. I, that was brutal. Eric, did they have to be so mean? And what's funny is, you know, Vicky is, it's kind of like your point with Brad, you know, you got to make some shit up about this guy. Yeah. Cause he's just too perfect. Absolutely. There's, nothing, there's no dirt on him. And Vicky's, kind of the same way she's just such a sweet person such a nice person that would never say anything negative or sarcastic or mean about anybody and she's up there just taking them right and left she and not only that she was great when she got up there she hits she had some great jokes and she's the type of person that walks in a room and you just start smiling right she's got this great energy about her which i came up with a whole theory you know, for roasts in general, I think the celebrities or non-comics that are on roasts, I think we should be sequestered from each other before <laughs> the roast. Because there's a couple times where I'm like, oh, I really can't say that about this person. I just had a great conversation with him. But then the comic in me is like, you better do it, pussy. There's no backing out now. This is this is the time to do it. Um, and And you hope that people understand at the end of the day, this is a work. We love you guys. We, you guys are our idols. We, 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 you know, we're back there in the green room with all of you guys hanging out, talking, just standing there going to each other. We're like, can you fucking believe this? Can you believe it? It's Rick Flair and Eric Bischoff over there having a beer. Where's Bully Ray? You know, and, and we're just kids in the candy store again. So it's tough to like sit there and meet people that you admire and idolize and then be like, as you're talking, going, wow, I have a terrible joke about his dick, you know, as he's talking, you know, or I'm going to, he's going to hate me for what I'm saying about his wife. Um, but yeah. yeah what, what about, because we talked about, you know, I was over in full disclosure. I came back over here last night and partied a little bit and hung out. Um, he really is a man of the people. That's no joke. <laughs> I get down in the, get down in the gutter. You do. 
But we were talking a little bit about this last night, and yeah. Bully came out and basically said, I'm not going to do what all these comics do. I mean, pretty much buried everybody. It, it was shocking. I never, <laughs> I've never seen a wrestler go into business for himself ever. That's a first. I mean, yeah, it was, it was. Look, uh, is it the right move as a comic? No. The time that he went up, as long as this show was going, the jokes that he had, like we had already said, so much brutal shit. Yeah. That the audience kind of becomes numb to it, right? I, I get that part of it. Um, and so he decides, and look, this is a guy who's in a business where you guys feed off the crowd, mm. what the crowd's feeling, what they're reacting to, and you make adjustments accordingly. And so I feel like part of him was like, fuck, man, I'm going to read this stuff, and and what if it doesn't get the pops that it's supposed to because these guys are kind of done. And and so he made an audible. He called an audible, and he said, "You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be a babyface, right?" And mm-hmm. and he goes up there. But what that does, like you said, is it buries the rest of the people that have to go up because there's some people in the audience going, "Yeah, why are those guys saying that shit? <laughs> That's fucked up. You don't even know these people, you know." And now you're you come up there and you say the next joke, and they're like, "Okay, all right, that's enough." Meanwhile, before they would have just went, whoa, you know, groaned and listened for the next one. So, and, you know, the thing is, and that's bully, though, because bully has so much respect for Rick. Yes. I, as we all do. But I think with bully, he just knew this was, you know, this is an opportunity to really tell Rick how he really felt. Yeah. And it was important to bully to do that, I think. Shuli, I want to take a second and talk about one of our great partners here at 83 Weeks, and that's Athletic Greens. AG1 is the product, and I've talked about it now for a couple of weeks here on, on this podcast, but I re- both my wife and I really, really love the product. We both heard about it, uh, first from Joe Rogan, about six or eight months before um, AG1 even became a, a partner here on this, this show. We love it. And i got to be honest, Shuli, I didn't know a lot about gut health. I mean, I knew the term. I heard it thrown around a lot, but I didn't realize how important good gut health is to the proper digestion of food and how the proper digestion of food is important to get the right nutrients where the right nutrients need to be. It's all tied together. So when I heard Joe Rogan talking about it, both uh, Mrs. B and I decided to give it a try, and I really noticed a difference right away. Now, it's not like a big, gigantic you know, kick in the side of the head kind of a, 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 a of a difference. But slowly over the course of a week or 10 days, I really started noticing that I had more energy. And it just makes sense. You know, better gut health, better nutrition, better energy. It's really kind of common sense. So what is this stuff, man? You get one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics and adaptogens and that's going to help you start your day off right and that's exactly what i do should i get up every morning the first thing i do before i even have my coffee is i get a nice eight ounce glass of ice cold water mix my ag1 in there and it it's unbelievable it's got a great flavor i actually look forward to it and a lot of the supplements that i've tried over the years uh, especially in this what they call the superfood category you really had to choke them down not not AG1, man. It goes down smooth. It's delicious tasting, and you just start feeling better. And I do it every single day without fail, and so does Mrs. B. 
Here's a couple health facts, just things you want to keep in mind if you're thinking about trying a product like AG1. It's lifestyle friendly, so it doesn't matter if you eat keto, like I do, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or, or gluten-free. Can, AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, and I'm also really excited about that because sugar is nasty. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it still tastes great. You're going to sleep better. You're going to recover better. It costs you less than $3 a day. So come on, man. You're investing in your health. It's a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper than all those other vitamins and supplements and swallowing pills, and it's better for you. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with the high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. This is a great product. I cannot recommend it. More. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. And I took those travel packs with me this weekend when I headed to Nashville, just to make sure that everything was running smoothly. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. Take ownership over your health. Feel better. I do it every single day. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's your daily nutritional insurance. Go get some! What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah, and and you know what? There were I'm sure there were people that enjoyed it. Um, those people were uh, not called comics. I will tell you that the, the <laughs> comics were all like, "Look at you, go, what the fuck's going on?" Um, but uh, but listen, this is the cool thing about a live roast is you have moments like that. Yeah, like a Comedy Central roast is recorded. It's six hours long, and and you see the best hour and a half, right? You you kind of want to see a bomb as a comic because as a comic, you adapt and write on the fly to that. And that's fun for us, right? Like somebody goes up and takes a hot one and we can write a great joke about, you know, Ty Domi, close strong. I'm not saying he bombed, got off to a shaky start. You know, but I will fight him. I'm not scared. Oh, I just okay. want you to know that. <laughs> okay. From the shins down, you're mine, fucker. <laughs> um, and he got him back at the end, but the beginning was rough. And and because of that, I wrote a joke and I did it when I went up there. I said, hey, Ty, anyone can fight. Not everyone can roast. <laughs> and it was a great line. He laughed at it. And, and that being able to come up with something on the fly and throw it out there and reacting in the moment is fun for the crowd because you know, it's really interesting. You say that I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's a lot of, there are parallels between what you do, stand up comedy and wrestling a ton. I mean, if you really break it down, yes, there's a lot of similarities and you touched on it a few times in the last few moments about, you know, you have to react to the crowd. 
you're 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 gauging what that crowd is is feeling or wanting to feel. Hundred percent, and that's so true when when wrestling is good. Guys like Ric Flair, guys like Bully, Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, um, Randy Savage, so many of them. You know, the really really good ones. Um, they have a general idea what they're going to do before they walk out. But the rest is all feel. But they're they're going to react to the crowd because yeah. every crowd's different. Every city's different. You could be doing the same storyline on television, right? Yeah. And you do your live event in Des Moines, Iowa. The right. crowd's going to react to what they've been seeing one way. Right. You go to Philadelphia, you're going to get a different reaction. Yes. And you, you or, or you go to San Francisco, you're going to get a different reaction. Chicago, same thing. Every market has its own unique personality and react to things in the ring uniquely and differently. And I imagine the same thing is true with comedy. A hundred percent. And you come out there and there's 12 people in the crowd, which has happened a lot. Uh, you can't go into material. You can't be like, so who works out? Who's who joined it? Because there's 12 people in a room that holds, let's say a hundred. And they're mortified that they're the only 12 people there. They're embarrassed. They're nervous. They, you, what you have to do is you just have to address it. You have to react to it. You come out there and you go, you know, oh, I'm glad the advertising, you know, was a bang up job. And then they laugh. They're like, okay, he sees that there's only 12 of us here. And then you just talk to him. You mm -hmm. just, you just have a conversation. You adapt to it not being a crowd where you can go and do the formula that you're supposed to do. You have, working up through the ranks in wrestling, right? You you start doing these shit shows for shit money. So do we, you know, we're, we're opening for, I, I was telling you the two worst places to see a comedian is opening for a band or at a strip club. Those two groups of people never want to see a comic ever. And those are the gigs you have to take when you're starting out yeah. because that's the stage time you have. Right. And, and it's the same with wrestling. Like, so you've done stand-up at strip clubs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how I I met, didn't know that was a thing. That's how I met the Godfather. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, I was Did in, you get high? I was, well, let me tell you this story. <laughs> I knew there would be a story. <laughs> I, go, I get asked to do stand-up at halftime for a Monday night football party they have uh, at the strip club in Vegas. So I go down. And at the time, I, was, I wasn't I was working for the show, but I was calling into the Howard Stern show a lot. And so um, the guy who was running the show says, I want to bring a stripper up on stage, and I want to ask her general knowledge. I want you to ask her general knowledge trivia, just like a Stern bit that he'd been doing for years. And I'm like, listen, I don't want to you know, sit there and do a, a bad knockoff of the Stern show. You know, I'm, I'm, if you want to ask the questions, that's fine. I'll do, I'll sprinkle it with funny, you know? And he says, perfect. So he brings this stripper up on stage. And the first question, he says, what's the name of the vice president of the United States? Who was Dick Cheney at the time? And she says, can I have a hint? And I said, uh, it's something you're going to touch after I give you 150 bucks back there. <laughs> and she, and she looked at me and she gave me a dirty look. And, and then I followed it up with, I, I'll explain it in simpler terms. It's something your uncle made you touch uh, many years ago. And then she just got up and stormed off. Audience laughed. They were, that's my, my mission isn't to be friends with a stripper. My mission is to get You don't laughs. know what you're missing. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, listen. I, I get kid, it. I kid. But at that time, you know, I can't bring a stripper home to my girlfriend and go, look what I got paid 
you Can know, at club. Right. I promise I'll take care of it. So, <laughs> so I go, uh, I go back to the, to the bar and I'm just waiting to get paid. And somebody comes over and they go, bear wants to see you. And I, and I go, that doesn't sound good. You know? And I go to the back and there's like a bungalow in the back of the parking lot. And I walk in and I sit across the desk from this massive man and he's looking at me. He's going, listen, man, I can't be having my girls upset. And as the whole time he's looking at, he's talking to me, I'm looking at him and go, where the fuck do I know this guy from? And all of a sudden I just go, are you the godfather? And he says, yeah, man. And I go, I'm such a huge fan. He oh, goes, that's great. He goes, oh, you want to smoke a bowl? Next thing you know, we're stoned out of our mind in his office, <laughs> busting balls, laughing. Uh, never did comedy there again, but, uh, you know, he always welcomed me with open arms. You know what? I just saw him yesterday. He was so at the did I. I was, uh, I was inside and I know I had to take a break. I had like five or 10 minutes and I thought I'm just going to go walk around, yes. you know, and I walk out and I just get a just a wave of skunk hits me. <laughs> Man, somebody, is, and it's like 1030 in the morning. <laughs> well, yeah. And I thought, holy smoke, somebody is just smoking up a storm. <laughs> and I, he rolled, Godfather rolls down the window and he's in his Papa Shango. Yep. Big right? Yep. And it was just the weirdest thing. I come walking out of the, the, the venue, and there's Papa Shango sitting in a four-wheel drive pickup truck, <laughs> full makeup on, going, hey, want to join us? <laughs> it was just a funny thing. You had to have seen it. He's a great dude. For you, walking around that area has got to be a trip, right? There's got to be people that you see that you're close with, but there's also got to be people that you know that maybe still have issues with you or or. Are not fit. like what's that like walking around that spot? You know, it's well. First of all, it's awkward because everybody that's there, that's signing, taking pictures, doing whatever, that's they're they're working, they're making money, right? And the tendency is you want to go up and say hi to everybody. Right. You want to be nice. You want to be polite. And, and and some of these people are people I haven't seen in a long time. But you know, they got a line of fans there, and they want to get through that line and keep everything rolling. So a lot of times, I just stay away. You know, I don't bother people when they're working. But you know, I don't. I don't think. You know, look, if I've got heat with anybody, it's, it's not apparent to me. Right. right? They, they they don't show it. Well, I'm not suggesting that there's some people out there that could care less whether I took another breath or not. But <laughs> I mean, they may be justified. But uh, for the most part, you know, that's not the case. I get along pretty much with everybody. What the, what the really weird part is is seeing really young people that I mm -hmm. don't know mm -hmm. that are in the business. And I feel like, Oh man, I'm, I gotta get up. I gotta get up to date. Yes. There's a lot of folks running around here that everybody else knows that I don't. Yes. And then the flip side of that is when I see people, you know, like my peers, I look at them and I go, fuck, they're getting old. Yeah. And then I realize, no, fuck, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> We're all getting old. I don't feel old. You don't and act I forget, old. I forget that I'm getting older, but then when you see people that you've kind of come up in the business with for thirty some odd years, and you look at them and they look old, you go, "Fuck, I guess it's true. I'm, I'm, I'm there too." Yeah, but there's old, and then there's pro wrestling old, and that's you know yeah. that's those are two different kind of olds. So you ain't there, you know. You you're not walking around. You're get, not walking around like the letter C no, everywhere, you know. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm fortunate that respect. I've never yeah. had any injury. No, but I've never been around. I mean, I've 
I've had matches in the ring, but that's not the same thing as you've risked wrestling. your life in different ways for the business. <laughs> but I've never, I've never done um, what wrestlers have done to their bodies over a course of 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Yeah. You know, that every single night, you know, bouncing around in that ring and taking that physical abuse, it, it takes its toll. When you're in your 30s and your 40s and your 20s, 30s, and even into your 40s, it's like, oh, I can take that. Man, I bounce back quick. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day when you're 60 and it's like, my shit doesn't work anymore. What's yeah. up with that? All right, Shuli, I want to take just a break here talking about comedy and wrestling to talk about one of my favorite things, my Rectech. Rectech is an amazing company that offers wood pellet grills fueled by all-natural hardwood pellets along with other outdoor lifestyle products such as coolers, apparel, grill accessories, and, and a whole lot more. With grills ranging from $399 to $3,000, Rectech has grills for every lifestyle and every budget with a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility. And I'm big on the versatility, man. I can do just about anything on a Rectech from baking and smoking and grilling and Hell, I can even dehydrate on it if that's what I want to do. Their factory direct pricing eliminates the middleman and all grills ship free. Plus, all Rectech pellet grills are made with a high-quality stainless steel, and they're built to last a lifetime. thing I dig about the stainless steel, not only is it high-quality, you can tell the minute you, you start putting it together out of the box, but it's really easy to clean, too, and that's important to me, man. I love my grill to just look pretty. Now, Rectech's flagship model, the RT700, that's the one I have, comes with a 40-pound pellet hopper, 702 square inches of cooking area. And that's a lot of cooking area. I can cook for a lot of people. It's got the PID Wi-Fi controller, which is just awesome, and a six-year bumper-to-bumper warranty. You can bake, smoke, sear, grill, and even dehydrate, like I said, on the grill, all with the push of a button. And that's why those in the know, those grill masters who know what's going on, Choose Rectech. So it's time to toss that tasteless gas grill, messy charcoal grill, or even that overhyped brand name grill aside and join the elite wood pellet grilling family by focusing on flavor, convenience, versatility. Rectech sets the standard in grilling. Visit Rectech.com. That's R-E-C-T-E-Q.com. Use the code Bischoff and you're going to get 5% off site-wide. That's 5% off their top-notch wood pellet grills, one-of-a-kind Rectech icer cooler, chef-tested rubs, sauces. By the way, the rubs and the sauces are great. Sorry, JR. Fact is a fact. Along with all kinds of other accessories and merchandise. Everything. 5% off. That's it, man. 5% off. That's Rectech.com and use the code Bischoff. I tell I tell young people all the time uh, at my shows, uh, you know, there's there's a world of mystery when it comes to your balls that you have no idea you're you're going to be knee deep in. Literally, <laughs> I say you're going to kick them one day, you're going to sit on one. I said <laughs> things happen. Yeah, I mean, change. they start falling like prices. You know what I mean? It's not uh, pretty. That's where I got my my material from. from well, I want to talk to you about that, but well, I, I, I do want to bring up a funny thing that you just mentioned which I've seen so many times this weekend is when two people from the business see each other at, at a signing or something, and they do come and interrupt the person signing. I always see there's a few people that are standing there and they're going, how cool is this? They go, look at this. It's Ric Flair and Bret Hart talking. And then after about 20 minutes of them talking, they're like, 
Wrap it up. Let's go. I don't care how long you know each other. I need this shit signed. <laughs> so funny, that switch that's made. So I want to talk to you about your roast because at what point do you decide that I'm going to go up there and I'm going to do a Manscaped commercial? That's what I'd like to know. Well, I'm a whore. Yeah. First no, and I foremost. And, I, and Manscaped is a great sponsor. They're so, amazing. Um, Earl. Skakel sure. uh, helped me, uh, wrote some of my material for me, wrote some really good jokes, and, and I didn't really get to use them because I got yes. to rap. But um, as I'm thinking about getting up there and doing this and kind of visualizing it in my head, I think I got I to work in a sponsor. You know, Blue Chew, we've done Blue Chew a lot on the show because it's such an easy thing to have fun with. Right. right? And, and not all of our advertisers like that we have <laughs> sure. fun with their, sure. their product. <laughs> right. Some of them do. Right. And Blue Chew's one of them, and Manscape is another one. You right. Know, you just look at the nature of the product, and they tell us, you know, go out and have fun with it. Absolutely. Know? If so, I would have plugged the sponsor at the end of my set, they would have not been happy. No. You know, if they would have been attached to those jokes. I get it. But uh, I was thinking about it, and look, I'm not a comedian. I, I don't think I'm very funny naturally. I got to I got to try to be funny, and that's not good when you're up on stage, you know, trying to be funny. Hey, you're a very good storyteller. That I can tell you. It, it, I thought, you know, the only way that I'm going to survive this and have it be fun for me and the audience is if I go out and make fun of myself first. That is a very, you know, it's back to the small crowds. Like you have to address, yeah, the the embarrassing thing and. It's like eight mile Eminem, right? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna goof on myself. Now you got nothing. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, well, if I go out and make fun of myself, because I knew I was gonna turn it on Rick about being old. Sure. But I thought I better I better make fun of myself before I get on Rick. Because right, right. Otherwise it's not gonna go down as well. <laughs> and I thought, oh, what can I make fun of? Oh, yeah. Harry Balls. That'll get a laugh. <laughs> you know? And then and then I was I started going through that and I I could picture it in my head, and I'm still telling that story. And then I turned it on Brian Knobs. Yep. And uh, I said, baby, this is such a cool thing. It's either got a flashlight. Yeah. Brian Knobs ordered a custom one. <laughs> same color scheme as this goofy tights he wore to the ring. And it's even got a magnifying glass. <laughs> and then just kind of switched it on on Brian. He's an easy person to make fun of. I was going to say. Because he, he's got a great sense of humor. He's amazingly funny. I came up to him before the rose. I said, Mr. Knobs, it's an honor. I'm one of the comedians. He goes, I don't know who the fuck any of you assholes are. Go fuck yourself. And I said, <laughs> this guy's a party. This guy is the yeah. one. But he, he really was like that donut spare tire you have in your car. You know, it'll get you where you need to go. If things aren't going well in the roast. Go to knobs. Switch it over to knobs. And he didn't read any guys. Who wrote his material for? Uh, Earl, I know, helped with it, and uh, he was another one that just kind of went went out there and just tore it up. Just decided to wing it. But he's a guy that's like you know we're saying you give the phone book to some people and it's the phone book. You let them. You give it to other people and they make the phone book funny, right? Like some people just got it. And and Nobbs is one of those dudes. And Sags I met for the first time. What a sweetheart He's of a, a guy, trip. man. He's such a nice guy. You're like, you're the nasty boys? Is it based yeah. on the older? <laughs> I mean, get, I know get, in their a couple prime. beers in them. And- yeah, I know in their prime. They they lived up to the to the moniker there's, for there's, sure. There's a dark part. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Really? Uh, no, I, I just thought the thing is. You know, most time when celebrities go up to Rose, they usually don't do well. 
But in the world of wrestling, when you guys have to cut promos and you guys are filling, you know, killing, uh, stretching out uh, in between matches that go short or long or whatever the situation is, generally you up there speaking in front of people is not a scary thing for you. No. But now trying to be funny, that's that's where it gets tricky. And you know what the other thing I noticed up there? And it's funny because Zero said to me, he goes, and he, he called me a couple times during the week and he sent me a couple of emails. He said, dude, just take your time. Don't rush. And, and I, I know that because I used to say the same thing to young wrestlers that are going out there to cut their first live promo because you're nervous. And when you're nervous – Automatically, you speed everything up. You just barrel, throw, barrel right? through it, and I. So I knew that. I was aware of it. I could. I said, "Oh, I can't promise that's not going to happen." But I know that that bastard's out there, and he's going to sneak up behind <laughs> me. So, <laughs> but I'll try to keep him from getting a hold of me. And uh, th- that's what I found is I'm perfectly comfortable getting up and you know yeah. doing, with a microphone, but timing, yeah, because y- y- you've got. I don't want to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Watching you guys, the pros do it. You've got to let that joke sink in before you move on to your next joke. You've you got to let it breathe just a little bit. And it's the same thing with wrestling. It's one of the bitches I have when I watch wrestling is guys are doing everything. And girls, people, wrestlers. Um, everything happens so fast that the audience doesn't get to emotionally react to any of it. It's just watching shit fly. And it's cool. You know, the, the athleticism is cool to watch and it's impressive. But it's also but it, a reflection of where we're at in society today, which is everything is instant. Everything is immediate for us, right? It is. And and so that's interesting. I never looked at it that way. And when you said it, I'm like, oh, that's just like everything else. My kids, ask them to sit through a commercial, right? They'll go, what, what, what are you talking about? We got to sit through a commercial. Go on this streaming app. You can watch it commercial free. You know, and it's like, they're just not used to taking 30 seconds out to, to let something breathe. To and, let- and I think what hurts the wrestling product when that happens a lot c- consistently is that it takes the emotion out of it. You're, you're, no, you're no longer emotionally invested in what you're watching. You're just watching it for the visual stimulation. And I'm all about visual stimulation, but I've got to get emotionally involved too. That's right. You got to give me a story. You got to give me a character. You got to give me something to make me feel instead of making me go, wow. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Holy smokes. Did you see that? That's not enough. Yeah. No, it's, it's a hundred percent and not to sound like a a whore, which I am, but this last match with Ric Flair, Mm -hmm. you know, the story leading up to this match is a storyline that I haven't seen on on anything in many, many years. You know, like something that you get emotionally invested in or you go, okay. Well, when I saw the, the documentary, yes, and, and I've touched on this a couple times in this podcast, but when I saw the uh, documentary, especially episode two, yes. part two, I, I mean, I, I joke on it. I said, this is, this is some of the best storytelling, just basic fundamental storytelling that I've seen in 20 years in the wrestling business. And what was it all about? You know, you know, act one was us falling in love with Rick again. That's right. You know, we heard his story, right? You know, we watched him cry. We heard him talking about his son, Reed and all of the things that, you know, Rick has been through and his health. So now you just, man, you want this guy to win. You're easier. He's your hero. You know, you're pulling for him now. You're emotionally invested. 
And then in in the second one, you know, we saw jealousy yep. and envy rear its ugly head. That's like the seven deadly sins, yep. two of the seven, right? Yep. Right there. Absolutely. Basic storytelling, fundamental to storytelling since the beginning of fucking time. People were writing pictures of fucking dinosaurs on caves with guys with spears and all those stories had everything to do with you know fear and jealousy and anger and survival those are just basic storytelling elements and this the second episode had all of that and now you're really pulling for rick yes right? it's just fundamental storytelling now let me ask you this so a simple basic process like this right is not being done today no. My question is, is it is it upper tier level saying this isn't the way we're going to go? Or is it people who aren't capable of doing it? Is it user? It's both. Is, okay. <laughs> but I think it's, look, in, in WWE. Like, how do you get hired as a writer? And not and not know the basic. No, they do. I, 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 you know, I spent a cup of coffee there back in 2019. I got to know a bunch of the people on a writing team, and they're all really talented people. I'm sure they are. And it's they not know, an easy gig to get. They know their shit. They yeah. know they know how to do it. But in the case of WWE, you had one guy right. who had his own sensibilities and what he thought was good or not right. good on any given day or in any given moment. Um, it, it was hard to get through to him. Right. Right. I think that was part of the problem. But the biggest part of the problem is that process that served WWE so well for so many decades th that is responsible for them becoming a $5 billion market cap public company. That's that process. And it served WWE so well. But times have changed. And I don't mean people's taste. That's true, too. But if you look at the sheer quantity of content that WWE is producing today versus what they were producing even 15 years ago. Right. That's changed dramatically. But the only thing that hasn't changed up until recently was the creative process. That creative process is outdated yeah. when you're producing as much content as WWE does in AEW. I just think, I think it's a combination of, there's a lot of people that don't really understand what good storytelling is, you know, and I hate to say it about wrestling talent because they're so good at what they do and they understand psychology and they understand so many things that I don't, mm -hmm. frankly. but they convince themselves. They know what storytelling is. Is it, is it a little, they really bit, don't. Is it a little bit of like a middle finger to mom and dad? Like we're going to do this our way type no, of I don't thing. Think so okay. I, I, I think if they, <clears throat> not, that's not all of them, by the way, there are right, some, right. You know, there's some great talent in, in AEW and WWE who know how to do it. 100%. But for the most part, I think it's it's a choice they make whereby they think, no, nope, the audience just wants to see the car crash. Mm. They want to see the physical athleticism and the holy shit. You know, it's like, this is awesome. Right, you right. Know, we need a this is awesome chant. That's right. what they're going for. And that's their goal. And that goal doesn't require great storytelling. This episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5000 on it or, like mine, 150000 on it. 
Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. Now, when you need a repair, you choose the mechanic and Car Shield's administrators, they handle everything else. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or anything else. No headaches. They got you. You're taken care of. Same goes for your car for breaks down or you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. It's cool. You don't want to take long road trips without it. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options, trip reimbursement at no extra cost to. Get coverage today. And you'll lock in your low price now, and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising costs of parts and repairs for your vehicle. Don't waste any time, man. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they're going to do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. Carshield.com. Come on. What are you waiting for? Yeah, I guess if you're setting up a match and going, we need a this is awesome spot, then then you're you're, you're missing the point. Yeah, you're not even thinking about story. That's right. That's right. And that's why guys like FTR, right, MJF, Mm -hmm. they stand out like a million miles apart from everyone else. Um is that just in their DNA? Uh, how how do those like, for example, like those three people? How do they distance themselves from everyone else? And is it just sheer belief in in what they're going to do and the direction they want to go in? Uh, again, I think it's different for you know MJF. I don't really know. I don't know any of them all all that well. Um, but in looking at FTR, for example, these guys are students. They studied hundred percent. They studied Bret Hart. They 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 not only look up to Bret Hart, but they've studied what made Bret Hart Bret Hart. I don't know if you saw this, but Dax uh, and Cash had a match in New Japan uh, the other day, yesterday. And then as soon as his match was over, Dax came over into the room where Bret Hart was speaking, pulled up a chair by himself off to the side and just sat there and watched, watched and listened to Bret. There you go. That's That's what sets them apart. And they may... Some people may look at them as kind of throwbacks in a way, but God bless them, you know, because they're keeping that art alive, that part of the art alive. And I think the more success they have, the more inclined other people will be to kind of follow that that it, pattern and that lead. I mean, think about it. The, the proof is there. The the Those people that I mentioned are making people feel something mm-hmm. every time they're up there. I, I met MJF years ago at the first StarCast uh, at, at All In. I, it was the first time I'd seen him wrestle, and and I wasn't familiar with him. And I loved – I thought he was so great. Every second he was out there, from the walk to the ring, in-ring work, he was fantastic. And we're having this after party, and I see him. And I walk over to him, and I said – Buddy, I've never seen you before. You are amazing. It was a privilege to watch you. And he looks down at my hand. He goes, I'm not touching you. You're disgusting. (laughs) And walks off. And my comic friend, James Matter, who is with me, he goes, who the fuck is this guy to talk to you? I go, are you kidding me? I said, this guy's a goldmine. I said, the no off switch? That's what we're missing, man. That is what we... Guys, I mean Roddy Piper, perfect example. You know Randy Savage, you know, even Hulk Hogan, different characters, but they live that gimmick. 
Yes. They lived that character. I, I don't want to call it a gimmick because that's disrespectful. They lived their characters. Yes. It would be like Tom Cruise walking around for the next 15 or 20 years. <laughs> With a pilot's outfit. Yeah, wearing right. his pilot shit, you know, and living that <laughs> that character to the point where he actually believes he can fly a fucking plane. And right? once he believes it, you're going to fucking exactly. believe it. Yeah. But that's what guys like Piper said. They came up in that era, man. They lived those characters. And yeah. They became those characters. And that's why, I mean, I was so disappointed when MJF left. AEW, and I, I don't agree. know if he's coming back. I don't know what the story is. I don't. I don't want to know. Actually, I want to be surprised wherever he lands, because I agree with you. I think he's he's a once in a generation performer. If you had a chance, if you're sitting in a room with him right now, and he asks you for your advice, what would you tell him? Mm, keep doing what you're doing, because the world will come around. Mm-hmm. And somebody's going to pick up the phone and call him, right? Because he's too good. I wouldn't compromise if I was him. You know, I'm. I'm Unless it is the way he left the promo he cut on Tony Khan, if that was part of a plan, I'm super impressed. But if he went in for business, went into business for himself, not that impressed. Mm-hmm. That, that to me crossed the line. Unless it was part of a bigger picture, and I don't think any of us know. So one is genius, the other one's a red flag. The other, the other one's immaturity. The yeah. other one's a 25-year-old guy that knows he's the shit and is pushing the envelope just a little farther than he should. Right. A 30-year-old MJF wouldn't do what a 25-year-old MJF did that night, I don't think. Well, I mean, you've said yourself, you know, in, in your younger days, uh, in, in the NWO days of stuff that you've said and done that you look back and you're like, eh, maybe. Mm, I could have pulled that back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Another reason why getting old sucks. We realize <laughs> it, it, it does, but not as old as Ric Flair. I don't have liver spots on top of my liver spots. I had to work that in. I just had to. I've been waiting all morning for that. <laughs> well, I love I love being able to look at him and say, uh, "Remember one thing, Rick. No one can ever take this away from you. If you weren't in tremendous debt, none of us would be here tonight." <laughs> That's brilliant. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the funny part for me is, Rick, I'm sitting right in front of Rick, right, in uh, case anybody's listening to this and didn't see the row. So I'm sitting right in front of Rick. Tori's on my left. And every time you guys crack a joke, I could hear Rick going, what, 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 what'd he say? And he started to get pissed. You know, first he was like, what'd he say? What'd he say? He was interested, right? He wanted to laugh. And then about halfway through the show, he's getting fucking hot. Yeah. What'd he say? Yeah. yeah. What'd he say? And I was directly behind him. The, the, the two of us are like UN translators sitting by him. He's a guy, he goes, Hi, what was that? I go, he said, you're so old, you borrowed a quarter for Moses. And then I'd sit back down, you know, and I, lean back in again. He says, uh, check if you're alive and then sit back, you know. Uh, but that would that was uh, at, at, the fir- at the very beginning. They didn't have the sound 100 percent. Then once it was 100 percent, he just sat there, drank. And, and, uh, and laughed and laughed and was a great sport about things because he got hit with some bombs for sure. Wendy, I, I, Wendy was up and down so fast. She kind of just <laughs> she speed dialed her way through that set. Listen, I mean, unless you're unless you're trying to work as a professional comic uh, the rest of your life, when you feel it's not good, just go just pull the cord and leave. <laughs> it's totally fine. You know, I've been in situations where 2,500 of 3,000 people were booing and heckling me, and I look at the clock, and it's at six minutes, and I have to do 10 minutes. And you, as a comic, you cannot leave early. It's like a wrestler just walking out of the ring in the middle of his match. 
Who's going to hire that guy again? Who's going right. to use him again? Um, you you have to take it. You have to sit there and take it. And and this was in Philly, so they know how to fucking boo and scream and heckle. <laughs> this is at the Tower Theater uh, with Artie Lang, three thousand people. You know, just pockets start like little pockets of uh, of of sparks turned into a brush fire at six minutes. And I had to stay up there another four minutes, man, and and just longest four minutes of your life, right? Oh, I didn't. I was booing me. I was heckling me on the mic. <laughs> I didn't know. And at the very end, I said, Philly, I don't care if you're booing me. I love you guys. I'm a Flyers fan. And then they started clapping. And I said, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I can't wait for the Giants to beat the shit out of your Eagles Sunday. And I walked. Oh. And that, oh, yeah. And then all 3,000 wanted to kill me. It wasn't 2,500. Yeah. Yeah. I was just watching. Uh, I think it was. Uh, it was Dark Side of Football on Vice. Nice. Talking about the Philly fans. I mean, that's you dumping on the Philly football fans. That could get you killed. Listen, man, you have to fight back in Philly. You have to. That that they're testing you. That that's what they're. You know, I, I'll tell you a story. We did a show, big group show, a bunch of us at the Electric Factory in Philadelphia. Now, Electric Factory is known for metal shows, pretty much, not comedy. And we put on this comedy show, and I think it's like two thousand people or something, maybe fifteen hundred. But for whatever reason, everyone that bought a ticket bought a ticket to yell and scream at every comic that took to the stage. And these guys like Artie Lang, Nick DiPaolo, Jim Florentine, established professional guys, you know. And one by one, they go up there. And these people are just being asked. They're just they're just testing. They're testing. It's Philly. They want to fight. They want to they want to go down, you know. And I go up after Nick DiPaolo. Who's, which his closing line was the best. He goes, I hope you all fucking die. Good night. And walks <laughs> off stage. And I come up and I haven't even touched the mic, Eric. And I hear a woman's voice louder than anyone. And she screams, you fucking suck. I hope you die. She screams at me. And I look and it's a woman in a wheelchair in the second row, right? Which explains philly perfectly they don't even give him the front row in philly <laughs> right <laughs> the guy's like i was here first you know fuck off and and i i said i have to fight back and so i go down on my knees so i'm eye level with her and i said now i know why you're in a wheelchair because you're a fucking asshole and the whole place just goes now this guy's got something to say. Let's hear it. He's oh, attacking a handicapped woman. <laughs> Let's hear what he has to say. And and it's like you have to fight for your life. Philly is just, they're not going to give you anything. You got to earn it there, which is why it's like you can do it in Philly. You're fine everywhere else. And the other thing I saw in that special about Philadelphia is like a lot of pro athletes that play for a Philadelphia team for any length of time. The city just embraces them, and when they're done playing, they stay. That's it. And Philadelphia's, I don't know, kind of a shithole yep. for the most part. Yep. But for whatever reason, man, what yeah. you, they put you on a pedestal, and they make you part of the community, and you never leave. It's, it's kind of crazy. All right. I'm going to take a quick time out and ask a question here to our listeners. Are you guys fans of professional wrestling? Of course you are. That's why you're listening to this podcast, right? Well, whether you are a fan of the wrestling companies today or maybe you were glued to your TV during the Monday Night War era, also called the Nitro era, 
I prefer that one. And maybe your favorite wrestling wrestlers are no longer active. Well, guess what? We have the perfect free mobile game for you on both Android's Google Play and Apple's App Store. It's called Ultimate Wrestling Trivia. And you feel the flood. The memories come rushing back to you as you test your knowledge on all things from the world of professional wrestling by playing Ultimate Wrestling Trivia. Now, you're not alone in this quest. As the team has enlisted the help of more than 30 of their famous friends to ask some of the questions and cheer you on. Now, they're going to put you over. They're going to celebrate with you when you get it right. And they're going to bust your chops and you're going to feel the heat when you get a question wrong. The game has former world champions, including five Hall of Famers. Kevin Nash, yours truly, easy. Mr. USA, Tony Atlas, Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner, Jerry the King Waller, just to name a few. Download Ultimate Wrestling Trivia today and see where you stack up against the competition on the leaderboard. That's a lot of fun. Search Ultimate Wrestling Trivia in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store or just go to ultimatewrestlingtrivia.com for more information. If you like trivia, you're going to love Ultimate Wrestling Trivia. The free mobile game with over 10,000 questions, 650 video questions, and over 30 wrestlers and superstars, as well as guys like Road Dog, as I mentioned, Kevin Nash, and many, many more. Find out who knows more wrestling trivia between you and your friends when you all play and join the same faction. We love factions, don't we? <laughs> to download, just search Ultimate Wrestling Trivia in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store or go to ultimatewrestlingtrivia.com for more information, Julie. One of the best things ever was, uh, I don't know if you ever saw it, but Bill Burr. The, this is the video that kind of shot him to the next level. They were doing a big radio comedy tour, uh, and Bill Burr was one of the comics. And it's like, you know, seven, eight, nine comics. The audience, much like the roast, the audience was just like, let's go, you know. And Bill goes up, and they start booing him. They start heckling him. And he goes off for, I think, like six to ten minutes about what a shithole Philly is. You know, you you don't have a statue of Joe Frazier, but you got one of Rocky Balboa, you know. Like and I mean, uh, to the point where they're all laughing now. Like he's beating the shit out of them so bad they're enjoying it. Like they, he's got he beat them all one by one. He mentally grabbed them by the collar and beat the shit out of all of them. And it was it was the moment that Bill Burr got launched to the next level. It was amazing. Heat is life. Where'd you grow up? Born in Israel. Um, one of three boys. And then we came to the United States uh, when I was four. My 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 folks had a hunch things wouldn't mellow out there anytime soon. <laughs> and uh, and they my I'm named after my uncle who uh, was killed in the six day war. My mom was like, my boys aren't going in the military and took a lot of heat from family, from friends, you know, because it's mandatory in Israel. So. Mm. They're sitting there going, you know, what makes you think your kids are better than mine? You know, my kids are going, you're, they didn't give a fuck. They, they got us plane tickets. I think they had $30,000 to their name. Family of five, right? Wow. Came to the United States, came to L.A. My dad opened up a little deli in an office building. Then he bought a car wash out in, in uh, East L.A., mm -hmm. And that's what the guy did, man. We lived in the San Fernando Valley. He drove to East L.A. operating like two or three car washes that he owned seven days a week, you know, working wow. his ass off. Um, and and my mom, you know, 
My mom was a redheaded Israeli woman. She did whatever the fuck she wanted, and nobody ever told her no. You know. So growing up, what, what year? Uh, I was born in '74. We came to the states in '78. Okay, so who? When did wrestling land on your radar? Oh, I, the first wrestling I ever saw was the. Um, it was, uh, I believe, it was a, a WWE primetime. I think it was, or one of the gorilla shows. I think mm. that that he was throwing eclipse. But the wrestling I fell in love with was the World Championship Wrestling on TBS. When I when that came on in LA, uh, that I, that was it for me. The NWA World Championship. I wonder why. What, what was it about it? It. I loved the promos. I loved the fact that that these guys would either talk shit before going into the ring and and fucking somebody up or after. But I love that they would always stop and talk. You know, I guess I've always been like a, an, an auditory guy, right? I love AM radio over FM. I love. So do I. I love hearing weird ass callers like Art Bell is one of my favorites, you know, on AM coast to coast with Art Bell. And he would have all these fucking weird phone. Like, Let's go to our wild card line. And he'd pick up a way. Let's go to our first timer line. And, you know, and he'd pick up somebody. And the guy goes, hi, uh, Art. I'm a vampire. I've been alive for 3000 years. He goes, OK, OK. Like, like no doubting or questioning anything. And he'd go, are your teeth filed down? And the guy would go, no, Art. No, like Art's <laughs> the asshole for asking the question. But I love the promos. I love the 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 hearing the audience, that studio sound, that studio wrestling sound, the ring being so loud. And and I look back on it now like the, the process is brilliant. It's so simple. Here's your star. Showcase the shit out of them. Put a spotlight on them. Have them screw, you know, beat the shit out of this guy for six minutes and then bring him in. Let him talk his shit. And, and and the thing I love the most is they would sit there and threaten somebody and then they'd leave. And then after the commercial break, that person they threatened would come out and talk. And I go, how did you two not run into each other? <laughs> how did this fight not happen in the in the craft services department? So uh, I, I always I love the, the horsemen flair, the road warriors. I mean, the, the, the war games. I remember begging my mom to buy me the war games VHS and. I went to school with it and I started renting it to kids to, I, I was like blockbuster before blockbuster. <laughs> and I go, yeah, you can have it till Tuesday, three bucks. Boom. And I get, and I would make money off of that. But of course you did. <laughs> hello to all my fellow Jews out there. Represent <laughs> mom and dad were so proud. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I, um, yeah, I, I loved, I loved the reality more than the characters back in the day. Did you? I did. I, I definitely gravitated towards that, um, which is ironic because years later I would end up on the road with the Iron Sheik, you know, and, and traveling with him and talking to him about wrestling and picking his brain about it. Like all these comics, we'd be on the road and we'd bring the Sheik with us and we'd do a show Friday night. Then Saturday we'd go grab breakfast or lunch and all of us would be 12 years old asking him questions like who was the meanest guy you know who was the toughest guy you know, like <laughs> we all just turned into kids around it i've always loved it i i just i love that i'm feeling something about wrestling again you know that's other than why am i watching this you know what i mean like it's an art form do you think you're interested now because you know so many people in the business 
No. Or are you just interested in the product? I, I, I've learned more about the psychology of it, which mm. I love. I love. And that's the reason why I go back and watch the old stuff right now is to see the little shit that guys did that that a story would go fucking three months before these guys ever touched each other. That's the magic. And, and, and I was playing. I was explaining to my wife. I'm like, you understand when these people get in the ring, the roof blows off the fucking place because that's they've just been simmering and simmering and sim- and this is what they're waiting for. And the in ring psycho, like I watch, Arn Anderson, is one of the most brilliant wrestlers. If you watch, because even he was the one guy on on uh, WCW that wouldn't necessarily squash his opponents he would have somewhat of a match he would let them have some moves on him and the thing i loved the most was his facial expressions when that happened Mm -hmm. when the switch happened when he's got an arm drag on him and he's holding him and he's looking at the camera and he's talking shit and the guy kick ups and and reverses it and now he's like and he's and he's reacting to the guy he's reacting to the crowd you know, when he cheats and they're going, he cheated. He goes, shut up. He's going, shut up. And that little shit, those little interact. I love it. I love it. I, I just, I think it's, it's, it's a ballet, you know, if it's done right. Um, the psychology beautiful. is fascinating and it's the most interesting part of it for me as well. How many wrestlers have you worked with professionally? Uh, the Sheik uh, was one and, um, Gosh, I worked with uh, who was it? Uh, Rob Van Dam. Oh, I was going to ask you. Yes, yes. I, I've seen. I, I love Rob Van Dam. We're good friends. One of the nicest guys ever. Great weed too, by the way, the Robbie. Great weed. Yes, great weed. he's very proud of his weed. Yes, he should I, be. I went to a show in L.A. He invited <laughs> me to, to a show. This was like when he was first starting his his stand up comedy gimmick, and uh, so I went. You know, I was going to hey, yeah, Rob, sure, I'll come in, check it out. It was so fucking bad. <laughs> it was so bad. I felt horrible for him. Yeah. But I I don't know if he got better. I don't know if he's still doing it. Uh, you know, it's something. The only way to get better at it is to do it 100% full time. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the beauty of this business. I'm sure like wrestling, it weeds out the people that aren't in it to win it. Right. Yeah. That, so, yeah, like you're supposed to bomb. A lot when you start. Because, he did that. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I don't think he knew it, though. He was having so much fun. I don't think thing. he cared. The denial is the thing you got to get over. If you want to make it as a comic or as imagine as a wrestler, you got to be honest with yourself and you got to be able to understand that you don't know shit about this yet. You have to learn everything. And, and it's the only, you know, here's another uh, similarity between the two. Yeah, you can practice some moves in the ring and in, and in in the back and and work some stuff out. But stand up, same thing. You can write out a joke. You can practice it. You, we, I ran my set a hundred times before the roast. But you don't know shit. Nothing matters until you're out there doing it. It's the only two industries where you're shoved out there to yeah. to figure it out. Right, and you're naked. You're out there by yourself. Nobody else you to blame. It's just it's. The bassist didn't fuck up. The drummer didn't fuck up. It's on me. There you go. It's on me. And and that's a scary thing when you're out there by yourself and you have to be on and you go, boy, that joke sucked. You know, and you have to acknowledge, well, I lost you guys on that one. How right? about Dolph Ziggler? Have you seen any He's of hilarious. Stuff? He's he, hilarious. I haven't seen him yet, man. I want to. Now, here's a guy who loves stand-up comedy, loves the art form, and 
legit does it. Like he will, if he has the time and the, and the ability, he'd go to an open mic and go do it in front of six people. That's, that's the sickness. That's the sickness. Like I have a joke in my act that explains the sickness of stand up comedy. I, I talk about how, you know, I love my wife. Uh, I love, I love having sex with her and, and I consider myself pretty manly. But that being said, when I get a haircut and a shave, when the barber takes the straight razor down the back of my neck, I said, I feel like I could have, you know, a homosexual relationship and nothing's <laughs> wrong with that. I said, there's nothing wrong with it. And the people laugh about it. And then I, and by the way, I cleaned it up a lot and uh, the people laugh. And then I go, that is the sickness of stand up comedy is that joke comes to me while the guy's shaving the back of my neck. And my thought is, wow, I can go down on a guy right now. And then, <laughs> and then my next thought is, I can't wait to try this out in a room full of strangers and see what they think about this fucking joke, you know? And, and that is a sickness. That is so a, do your jokes come to you, like, all in over. your sleep? You're driving around? My kids, you know? Do you have like, to sit down and say, okay, I got to come up with some funny shit today and just start writing funny shit? Or Some days, yeah. Or is absolutely. it just floating around in your head? It is, it is the hardest part of the stand-up is the writing getting on stage is like breathing after a while. You don't even think about it. You'll get a big gig and then maybe you get a little butterfly. Like I was nervous before the roast, but I miss that. I love that feeling now, you know? If someone relies on you financially, your spouse, your child, anyone, life insurance gives you the peace of mind that they'll have a financial cushion if something ever happens to you. By making it easy to compare your options from top companies, Goliath Life helps make sure you're not paying a penny more than you have to for the life insurance coverage you need to protect those you love. At GoliathLife.com, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. The process is fast and easy with no hidden fees, upsells, or hassles. Goliath Life is your one-stop shop to find the life insurance you need at the right price. Head to GoliathLife.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's GoliathLife.com. But yeah, as as far as like writing anything at any point, now that I'm married with a family and I'm in the suburbs, like there's shit I see. And I'm in the South, you know, I'm, I'm a northerner in the South. So I'm watching all these fuckers, you know, and, you know, I, I the other day I wrote a joke. I said, I can't believe how many yard sales you guys have out here. And then I realized you're just leaving your fucking garage open. Put your <laughs> shit away. What's wrong with you people? You know, uh, and and the other day. Joke about my uh, my daughter, because she told me that her and her friends were doing your mother jokes at school. And I said, oh, your mama jokes. And she goes, uh, we call it your mother jokes. Wow. as to And so I came up with this whole bit about how how, you know, much pussies this generation is that it's your mother. I said, so I, you know, I go, tell me one of the jokes that uh, your friend said. She said, uh, your mother is so morbidly obese that they diagnosed her with diabetes. They don't know if it's type one or type two yet, but they're glad they caught it in time. And I go, that's, that's one of your mother jokes. Man, you guys are pussies. And then I do like two or three from when I was a kid, you know. Bob's so fat, she broke her leg and gravy poured out, you know, and all these horrible stuff that uh, that we would do. And, and so, yeah, the writing comes from everywhere. Life experiences is the best. The realest, it's like wrestling. The realest shit is the best. 
It's the it's the stuff people can attach themselves to the easiest and it's stuff people have experienced. Mm. So so there's an attachment there. The minute you start talking about something, that's why everybody does airplane material. Everybody does working out material. Everybody, you know, but it's the stories for me that that get the biggest reactions, you know. I'm guessing, but obviously I don't know, which is why I'm anxious to ask. Do most most of the comedians that we know that you see on HBO, yeah. you see on Showtime, whatever, they all write their own stuff, or do they have do they have writers that work with them? They uh, so it depends. Once you get on an HBO special level, there are a lot of comics that you know because this is a click industry, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all have our friends that we started out with. Uh, I personally think writing in a group with friends is a million times easier than writing on your own. Um, there's there's punchlines that I couldn't think of that when I throw it out there, my friends like just say this, and it's like it's two seconds. I've been sitting on this joke for a month, like I couldn't think of the fucking ending for it. So I think that yeah, they'll take jokes from people. Plus, once you're making that kind of scratch, you can even say to them, hey you know, throw me some jokes and I'll throw you some, some, uh, cash, mm-hmm. you know, there's comics that I know that make money for roast jokes, you know, that they're brilliant roasters, brilliant. Zach Amico guy from New York, one of the most brutal, brilliant joke, roast joke writers, funny comic too. But I mean, his wheelhouse is roast jokes, you know, and he's a killer killer. And there's so many guys from Earl Skakel, mm-hmm. you know, uh, from LA, Tyler Morrison, all these guys are just they they specialize in this field, which is completely different from stand up. You 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 can be a good roaster and a bad stand up, and vice versa. What's, so what's the difference? There's a cadence and a and a rhythm and a flow to a roast, like almost like a template, right? Like mm-hmm. like you there's a there's a format that you kind of have to be used to and and familiarize with a rhythm that isn't the same for stand up you know for stand up it's kind of free flowing you know you know where you want to go but shit can happen in the middle and you'll adapt to that and you'll talk where are you going you going to take a shit you know stuff like that it's all it's all much more loosey goosey mm-hmm. whereas a roast this word has to do I is it do I leave do I put this or do I put that you know or do I, every word's got to be precise I just think it's a much more technical thing a roast you know um, because a word moving a word out of something or moving it to a different spot can be the difference between a killer joke or losing the crowd well wow. it's it's wild are there are, are there writers are there comedy writers out there that just aren't good on stage, but are really good writers. hundred percent industry. hundred percent. That's, that's a business. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not a great writer per se. You know, I, I can't sit there and write 20 jokes for, you know, um, um, uh, Bill Maher off the top of my head. Maybe I could, but it's not something that I'm familiar or comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I can write, uh, you know, stand up bits. I can, I can, my thing is I like, um, being on that stage. I, I love a microphone. I've, I've, since I was a kid, I've, you know, I've been a whore for a microphone. And so it's another reason why I've always loved radio. I've always loved the promos is these people are, are in this talking. And, and so, yeah, I, I think, um, there's plenty of writers that are writers because they tried stand up 
and and then they're like, this just isn't for me. What about no? You, you obviously you've been doing stand up for a long time. You worked with Howard Stern. Yeah, you you've done a lot of things. Did you ever aspire to write for a Jay Leno? You mentioned Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. Did you ever did you ever aspire to write for some of those guys who were at that level? I mean, I I really for me my thing was like my ultimate goal was to be able to do stand up because it was the one job I knew that I could do with my friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that I could. And, and I've had every shitty job known to man for about two to three weeks or whenever a drug test came back, you know, I've, <laughs> I've done it all. I've done it all. Um, you know, I dealt blackjack and roulette. I, I pushed wheelchairs, people in wheelchairs at the airport. I did plumbing. I did, you know, every form of construction. Uh, I've tried it, you know, busing, waiting, you name it. For me, uh, all of that was was all I all I could remember since I was a little kid was jokes. Like those were the things that stuck in my head. Were you funny? Were you a funny kid? Absolutely. Class I mean, I'm probably super annoying, but yeah, I I tried. My whole thing was like when I would meet somebody new, my first thought was, I wonder what their laugh sounds like. Like I was always intrigued because it's like a snowflake. Everybody, everyone's is different, right? Mm-hmm. And so my thing when I meet somebody is I'm going to make them laugh. Plus, I was this little kid from Israel with a weird fucking name, long hair. I got, you know, my parents sent me out with a big, you know, Jew necklace on, which that that helped a lot at school. Thanks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, big Hamsa with the hand on it. And I remember a girl going, are you a Michael Jackson fan? You know, <laughs> they go, you, you're from Israel. You speak Jewish. They would say stuff like that. So. Humor was my way of of making friends and mm. blending in and and kind of you know like a defense mechanism. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. People are laughing at you; they're not throwing punches. That's right. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm uh, don't let this fool you. I'm not a physical being here. I don't. I, I don't uh, think anybody thought that. Yeah, I'm not. I know I look badass, <laughs> but no, I um yeah, I've always loved comedy. I've always wanted to do it. I've loved specifically organic comedy like in the moment off the cuff carson having an animal expert on and having a fucking animal you know stuff like having a leopard piss all over johnny carson that is my favorite yeah that is my favorite carol burnett you know skits going bad on snl people reacting in the moment and and making it work has always been just organic comedy. What do you What do you think about comedy and wrestling? I mean, there's you know I've said for years, and I probably stole it from somebody else. I might have stole it from Dusty Rhodes, but I've always said that wrestling is like a buffet. You know, mm. if, if you want a lot of people to come to your buffet and spend their money, you've got to have a lot of different things for a big variety of people, right? Yeah. You got to have good prime rib. You've got to have good barbecue chicken. You got to good. You got to have matzo balls over here. You got to yep. good salad bar. You know what I mean? You can't just have roast beef. Yep. Right. And wrestling is like that. And we've we've seen a lot of comedy in wrestling. For me, it it's bad comedy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like bad comedy. Just like I don't like somebody singing that doesn't really know how to hit a note. Yeah. But we see a lot of it in wrestling. Do you think there's a place for comedy in wrestling? And do you think if there, if if a WWE or AEW decides, okay, we're gonna we need to lighten things up a little bit. We need a, a fun show or funny show. 
Think they should hire writers to help them? I don't think it's. I don't think it's a right. Look, you can have the best writers in the business write the funniest right. stuff, but if you don't have somebody who knows who isn't funny, there you go. That's it. Like, yeah, <clears throat> there's a place for comedy if the person can do it. It, it. It's all based on the person. That's really what it comes down to. Because you were talking about Rob Van Dam. You know, you. you we saw single hand. You know, with our own eyes uh, right. Friday night. Not everybody can do it, and th- and these people had people writing jokes for them. So, so yeah, it, maybe there is a place for it. I'm sure there is. If somebody's good at, it. I mean, Heenan, Heenan was, Heenan was great. the fucking best. The fucking be- you can put on any episode of primetime, put on anything from WCW where he's at the desk. When they would fu- when NWO Shea goes, I'm out of here, and he would just take his shit off and leave. It's just that alone was hilarious. One of my favorite. Lines from him ever is a WWE thing, and they were I forget who it was, but they were beating up Stu Hart. And Gorilla at one point goes, Somebody get security. And Bobby goes, What do you want? Another hot dog? And I <laughs> I pissed myself. He he was so now there's comedy in wrestling, mm-hmm. but but when it came to and even in the match, he would run around the ring, he would he would uh, Cornette's another guy like he wasn't necessarily trying to be funny, but there were times where he was funny based on his reaction. Do you listen to his show from time to time? I do, I do too. Yeah, I, I love mean, his takes he, on he, shit. He's I'll tell you what, what's almost scary is I find myself agreeing with him more than I disagree with him. You know, I agree with you, but he, he, his take on wrestling is. He's not wrong. No, he's not. He's not wrong. And that's why so many people don't like it. Yeah. Because you know, when 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 you tell someone who's ugly and knows it that they're ugly, it pisses them off. Yeah, yeah. He gets, but he is. Uh, I, I find him to be hysterical, and he's funny when he's not trying to be funny. Oh, just his delivery and the way he says things, and he, he's obviously a very bright guy. I mean, super intelligent, super intelligent guy. He's just. He has one of my favorite Toxic. sayings. <laughs> he has one of my favorite sayings of all time. So that, that's slickered and come on a gold tooth. <laughs> okay. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. yeah that, and now then, this word from our sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and when the match sucks, he goes, it was flatter than a plate of piss, which. Uh, no, I used that one the other day. Did Somebody you really? was asking me about uh, promos in, in, in AEW ratings. And I said, might be gimmick infringement coming up here. Yeah, you guys oh, are gonna. Man, you guys should one last match. You versus Corda. Let's no, that do it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would want to see that. No, I mean, look, there's there's comedy that's been in wrestling, but it wasn't a constant. It was every now and then. It was only certain people who could do it, yeah. and I think that's the key to it. And you got much like you know comedy and music. You got people doing. Now, is he fully doing comedy? He's doing it. Mix great. Mick's, is he good? He's very good. I've I've worked with Mick, and he's first of all, he's a phenomenal storyteller. Yes, phenomenal. But he knows now. He knows how to write like an, an, an. I look at it like a story is a sandwich, right? You got you got the bread and you got the meat. Okay, you got the beginning, you got the end. Everything else, all the little condiments are like little jokes and shit you can add to this story to pump it up. And and to make it better, and so he knows how to do that now, and he's doing that with his stuff, and he's like, he's legit a guy who you could be like, oh, you're gonna do an hour, all right, I'll be back in an hour, and you can go and and eat, and and he's got it, he's got. Plus, 
every single person coming to see him is there to see him. So, right. you know, you could kind of suck and you'd still get away with it. Right. But he doesn't at all. You know, it was tough early on, but it is for all of us. But does he, I should have, I, I haven't seen Mick in a while, but is he touring? I mean, does he go? Does he you know, I don't know if he's doing any gigs like that right now, because I thought he just had another surgery not too long ago. So, yeah, I'm not sure. <sighs> Got to work on my thirst. Go ahead. Word from our sponsor. We don't have a beer sponsor yet. That's ridiculous. But I'm working on it. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Dave Green, get to work. Come on, man. What are you doing, Dave? So we covered comedy and wrestling or the lack thereof. Yes. And why? Yes. Talked about some of your favorite wrestlers growing up in yeah. WA. When did you leave LA? What year? Oh, I left after high school. I I hated being out there. I hated that scene. I wanted to get out of there. What did you hate about LA? It's just, I think I was just there for, I'm a guy who I can't be somewhere for too long. Yeah. You know what I mean? I did LA for what? 13 years. I did New York for 15 or at Vegas for 12, New York for 15. Like, yeah, I, 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 after a while I gotta, I gotta go somewhere else, man. I'm, I, I, this is, listen, it's not. And now you're in Huntsville. Now I'm in Huntsville. <laughs> Don't ever bet Conrad Thompson, folks. That's what I'll tell you. It's a lesson I learned from this. This fucker makes you pay. Um, no, I we left for Huntsville. Um, so we're in New York. Pandemic hits. Mm. Everything goes to shit, right? Every, especially where we were at for whatever reason. Everything, the whole neighborhood, everything changed. The vibe. People were trying to break into our building. You know, we're in an apartment and I'm going, you know, we're on the first floor. So if they get in, they're coming to one of our apartments, you know. So I said, uh, let's see where we can go. Let's see. We we didn't have a huge budget, but I said, let's see what we can find. We checked local tri-state areas. Nothing really we can do with our budget. And then uh, Conrad's been telling me for years, like, just buy property out here. He's like, this place is booming. Just get a piece of land. You'll make money. I'm going, well, what do I know about land and property? Who the fuck am I, you know? And here we are in the middle of the pandemic. We're locked down. We got nothing to do, nowhere to go. Everybody's scared. We start looking online at houses in Huntsville. And and I see, like, I know what I'm paying for my two-bedroom, two-bath apartment in New York, $2,700 a month. For a two bedroom, two bath with like a sixty five square foot backyard, oh, wow. <laughs> right? Yeah, and and meanwhile, backyard people come over and go, like that's mm-hmm. how insane everybody is in New York. You have one and a half bathrooms, that's great. <laughs> so we get in the car, and here we are in the middle, you know, middle of the night, racing to Huntsville to check it out because I don't know shit about Huntsville, I don't know shit about the South, but. We're going to move here. We got to at least see what this area is all about. We're gonna, and we got out there and it was like, we went to another planet. Everybody was so nice. Nobody was in, in, in uh, entrenched with politics and, and, and fear. And like, everybody was living life. They're wearing masks. It wasn't the wild West. They're wearing masks and they're abiding by the rules, but it wasn't their whole life. Like it wasn't, and that was such a breath of fresh air for me. And and then we started looking at places and, and we found a place and 
we just said, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's let's how many Jews are there in Huntsville? Uh, counting us, us. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's synagogue. Now there, there are right? there is. My wife told me she goes uh, when we're looking at houses online. She goes, this one's a mile and a half away from a synagogue, and I go, oh, you mean a trap? That's what I thought. <laughs> That's, are you to stay? That's a, Have you so adapt? far? I want to. Yeah, you like it. I love the peace and I love going out on my deck, cup of coffee, little joint, and all I hear is just insects and nature. I don't hear horns. I don't hear sirens. trains, sirens, helicopters. Uh, here's my favorite. Here's my favorite. I lived in. I had an apartment. I kept in Santa Monica. Yeah, right, right down on the beach. Yep, <clears throat> I know that area well. And every single morning, you'd hear the garbage truck. Yeah. <laughs> And it's beep, beep, beep. Because when they back up, they got to do the beep, beep, beep thing. Do you oh. know when they come in Huntsville? Like 2 o'clock afternoon, one thirty. They're, nice. Nobody's in a hurry in the South. They're not in a hurry to go to work. They're not in a hurry to go to school, exercise. They are relaxed out there. I, I, but does it, did that drive you crazy when you first got there? Like when you go to a restaurant and everybody's real relaxed and nobody's in a hurry when you're used to getting, you know, pretty intense service. Yeah. It's like that when you go on vacation somewhere out of the country and yeah. you're just like, okay, where's the fucking food? And and they're like, <laughs> Hey, we're in paradise. We're not in a fucking hurry here. You know? Um, I think for me living in New York, working in Manhattan, for 15 years, going at that pace, your head's down, you're you're missing life, yeah. in my opinion. And that's the one thing the pandemic did for me was it, re- it, it took me off the road, took me out of my office. So now I'm completely 100% connected to these people called my family, which have been third on my list for the last 15 years. That's nice. And so that's why I was like, I'm never going on a subway again. We're going to be working from home. So I'll just work. Where the fuck does it matter where home is? Let's go find a home. And it, look at this full circle. My parents taking us out of Israel and me taking my kids out of New York so they can have a life as a kid. So they can walk to a friend's house and have a sleepover, which they do now mm-hmm. and, and ride bikes in the neighborhood. And, you know, and my parents did it with no English language and, and 30. I had much more resources than they do, but I learned from the best. I learned from them that family's everything. Mm-hmm. The kids come first. So, okay, you're leaving Manhattan, the epicenter of comedy and the epicenter of, of radio, what you're doing. For me, it's like, listen, I, I landed in New York with a one-week audition for Sirius XM, and I turned one week into 15 years. So if you're telling me I'm going to fail in Huntsville, <laughs> you're out of your fucking mind. Like, Good for you. Yeah, there's no way. Uh, I'm, I'm loving life there. I'm loving peace of mind. You don't see going back to New York? Listen, if, if an offer comes and it's worth it, I don't want to lose that place. I'd, I'd get like something small over there mm-hmm. and just, you know, and just do that for as long as it needs to be done. I'll go where the action is. How about your kids? Did they dig it? They do. It took some time for them to adjust, but you know, uh, once I explained to them that you can get beat in the South, they uh, they wised up. They go, we got it. We got. It. I, I tell them, I go, we're in Huntsville. They beat their kids here. Um, they will help me beat you up before they help you not get beat up. So don't forget that. 
What do you think about tonight? What do you think about Rick going into this match? I am so ner- you think I'm in this thing. I am so nervous about this match, you know. I uh I, I just first of all, the card is really good. A lot of the matches on the card are really good. But Flair, Andrade, Lethal, and Jarrett, um, I think is gonna be I think people are not giving it enough credit. I think they're gonna I think that a lot of people not the people who are going, but I think a lot of people outside of this are thinking this is some going to be some sort of shit show. I think they're going to put on a great match. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. I think they're going to, the people are going to be shocked when this is over. Um, I just remember one of my jokes I forgot to do was I say, Hey, uh, I want to thank Conrad for uh, inviting us all to this live action funeral this week. <laughs> That's a part that, I mean, I, look, I'm not worried about Rick's health because Rick's in, freakishly good condition in many respects. He's the Keith Richards of wrestling. Let's be honest. Nothing stopped him yet. He's fine. But Rick's own worst enemy has always been his emotions. And getting in his own head, right? Getting in his own head. That's the part where I'm not worried about him taking bumps. I'm not worried about anything physical. I'm a little nervous about what's going on inside of Ric Flair's head about five minutes before he gets to that ring. On on a scale of one to ten, ten being uh, possibility he might not even come out. How nervous do you think he's going to be before the match tonight? Probably seven. Yeah. Seven or eight. He's going to be real nervous. I think those nerves will go away when he hears his music because that's where he's, <clears throat> he said it. Other people have said similar things. That's where he's the most comfortable. That's where he's at home. He's in control. Once, once that music plays, that's his world. And he's in control of it, which is why it's so hard for guys like him to step away from it, because you're stepping away from the only thing that you can really control and that you're great at. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say goodbye to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Brett Favre thing, you know, where they're like, hey, go take out the trash. He goes, yeah, I want back in. Sign me back up. I'll get sacked from the blind side. I just don't want to take the trash out anymore. You I, know, need, I, mean, I need that. When, when Rick first announced that he was going to do this, you know, People that were good friends of mine reached out to me. Go, what the fuck is he doing? Why is he doing this? Is sad. This is pathetic. And I'm thinking, guy, you don't get it, man, because you've never been Ric Flair. You've never been that guy. We've all had a taste of it. I've had a taste of it. You know, when you walk out into the ring and it's just you, probably like you've experienced, you're just out there with a microphone and you've got. 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people, they're hanging on to your every word. And your job is to create emotion. In my case, it was to piss them off or to set something up that I knew was going to piss them off. And when you develop the ability and the confidence in that ability to the point where you know you can go out and you can manipulate that audience (laughs) to do exactly what you want them to do, exactly when you want them to do it, for as long as you feel is necessary. It's a superpower. Th- that's power. Yeah. And it's, it's an, and when I say power, I mean, it's an energy. It's, it's, it's so tangible. And for guys like Ric Flair, who have been doing that all their life, they have this exchange with the audience. They're communicating through emotion and vibration. They're alive. They're at their most you alive. Get, you can't get that. You can't get that fix anywhere else. Doing right. anything else. That's right. why the Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. they, they don't need the money. No, they sure They're not don't. trying to get pussy backstage. Nope. They're not, you know, the groupie thing is all over with. 
you know, they're they're out there because they love that exchange of energy. Right. They'd much rather be touring the, the world than doing a ask me anything on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Makes sense. When you break exactly. it down like that, it makes it. But again, going back to what we were talking about earlier with MJF and, and all the greats, really, that no off switch. This this is who they are. And this is what their life has been. And this is what they know. And and not to mention, he's he's in the ring with three guys that are going to try and, and do their best to make him shine. Like he couldn't be around better people for this. Right? Physically in the ring. No, I mean, Jay lethal is so underrated. Yes. Such an phenomenal talent and so underrated that I'm, I'm really excited for Jay. He would, he would, what we would call them in our industry, a comics comic. Yeah. Right. A comics comic guy like Gilbert, right. Who, He's well known, but he's not a household name. He's not on the level of, uh, you know, a, a Bill Burr or Burke Kreischer like that. He's not a mega comedy superstar, but he's a comic that every other comic will come out of the back to watch when he's on stage. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's Jay. And Jeff Jarrett, um, you know, as, as, a, as a character, uh, Jeff has really never done much for me mm-hmm. as a character. Mm-hmm. As a performer in the ring, his physical abilities in the ring, yeah, there are a few better, but not a lot. Yeah. He's such, he's so good. And he really, really understands psychology. And his timing is excellent. So I think between Jay and Jeff, Andrade, um, he'll, he'll be there to, to add some physicality mm-hmm. to the mix, obviously. I'm guessing... Jay Lethal will be on the receiving end of most of that. Um, but you never know. You never know. But I think it's going to be great. I'm, I'm, but I'm most excited. I'm excited for it to be over because that's when Rick's going to really become emotional. But it'll be a, it'll be a fun thing to experience. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, I can't imagine what's going through his head right now. I mean, not to mention this moment, but seeing so many people this weekend that have been a part of your life and career. Um, it's gotta be like, this is one of those once in a lifetime moments, man. Oh, did you see him when rock came out? Yeah. On, on tape. He lost it. He lost oh, it. Oh man. That was, he was, he was right behind me when I was looking at the monitor and I yeah. just, they had a picture within the picture of the monitor and he was just, he was losing it, man. He yeah. wears his emotions on his sleeve. It's always been his, his, he was, his own worst enemy is his emotions, man. If he can control that, he'll he can control anything. Yeah, well, that's like comics too. We're the most sensitive. You know what I mean? We can we can throw it out, but we can't take it for shit. Really? For some reason. Well, I think you get better at it. I think at first you're you're very protective because you want to be a comic so bad that you're very uh, insecure and defensive about everything. But the thing I love the most is being with friends and watching each other bomb, you know, and like, well, that's twisted. Yeah. Cause it's just fun because it's, it's, <laughs> it's dark because you know, the guy's a good comic and you know, he'll like if the right crowd, cause sometimes it can be the crowd. It's not necessarily the right. comic every time. And you just, and you get to sit there and watch your friends sweat and, and try to figure this, this combination out of how, how to win this back in my favor. Uh, that's such a joy to watch because we've all been through it. That's the thing. We've all eaten that shit sandwich, you know? All right. Well, listen, buddy, I thank you. 
for stepping in for Conrad. Pleasure. I, I appreciate it. Pleasure. I learned a lot about comedy today and this weekend. I learned what I'm not good at. So, hey, thanks, thanks for that. As far as uh, an ad for Manscaped, this guy's the best right here. That's right. Um, your, um, thanks for having your balls me. Needle 21, <laughs> manscaped.com, promo uh, code 83 weeks. And thanks for having me. It was great spending the weekend with you. And uh, let's go watch Ric Flair make history. I think it sounds like a plan, man. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.